Right. Hello and welcome to this uh, third podcast for the Northeast Organic Group. Uh, my name is Malcolm McDonald and I'm here with Kerry Allison, who's a food and drink consultant with SAC. Kerry, do you want to introduce yourself and just tell us a bit about what you do? Yeah, hi. Uh, so I'm Kerry. I work, uh, I'm based out of Crapeston, the Aberdeen office. Uh, I'm a senior food and drink consultant. Um, I work all over Scotland uh, and the north of England with a different scale of producer, both rural and urban, uh, looking at added value produce right through the supply chain. Do you want, uh, in relation to kind of straightforward agriculture, do you want to outline a bit of how big the food and drink industry is? Um, Because a lot of farms are focused on just the day-to-day, so outline where their produce is going and uh, how it's been value's been added to it. So currently the food and drink industry in Scotland is worth just uh, under £15 billion. It's the first biggest uh, employment sector in Scotland. Um, the the main export comes mostly from whisky and salmon. So that's where the uh, majority of that £15 billion uh, is valued. However, uh, we've seen a, a vast growth in um, a, a wide range of locally sourced products in Scotland. So the Scottish consumer values Scottish produce higher than any other produce that's available, meaning that anything from uh, primary produce, meat, eggs, dairy, right through to added value, uh, be that beer, crisps, ice cream, we're seeing a, a huge focus on buying local. Okay. So people are paying a, a price premium for buying local? Yep. Yeah, so uh, a bit of recent research done by Scotland Food and Drink shows that 48% of the Scottish population would be willing to pay more for a Scottish-labelled product. Okay. Um, so the food and drink industry, how, how fast is it growing um, in the last few years, do you think? So uh, we're seeing manufacturing growth of 43%. Uh, which is huge. It's one of the fastest growing industries in the country. Um, as I said, we're valued at just under £15 billion at the moment, but the ambition for 2030 is to more than double, so to be worth £30 billion by 2030. OK. Do you think that's going to come from more salmon and more whiskey? Or? <laughs> um, I think that there is absolutely a place for both salmon and whiskey within that. Um, however, I think a, a huge amount of the growth is going to be from seeing more manufacturing happening within Scotland. So not just an export market, but looking at hyper-local, so that kind of within 50 miles of where you are, to regional, national within Scotland. But then also the rest of the UK is probably one of our biggest markets, and we focus more on Europe and Asia than we do in the rest of the UK at the moment. Okay, so there's scope to be focusing more on the UK, might be Definitely. Easier gains and trying to export too much, yeah. Okay. So I suppose that's what we're seeing with a lot of trends with a lot of microbreweries and distilleries starting up. That would be exactly the kind of businesses you're talking about. Yeah, certainly. So really it's, it's it can be anything from, you know, uh, grassroots, if you'll forgive the phrase. Uh, so someone doing a, you know, a very small uh, direct marketed meat box all the way through to the likes of, for example, Brewdog, who started as a... A, a very small craft brewery and are now global. Yeah, okay. Um, the meeting today is about uh, organic, organic markets, and organic produce. Um, 
what kind of trends have we seen in the last few years on the organic market? Has there been increase in sales, decrease in sales? Or? So uh, in the in the last two years, so 2017, 2018, we saw a significant uptick in both retail and food service for organic. Um, it's only recently that people have actually started to uh, measure the significance of sales within food service. So that's everything from, uh, you know, independent cafes, restaurants, right through to kind of chains and into public service as well. So hospitals, care homes, what have you. Um, I think that uh, quite a big uptick in food service particularly may well come from the um, procurement uh, side of things, public procurement side of things, looking to organic as being a healthier option and a healthier choice. So certainly uh, in Europe there's been research done and over f- around about but usually over 50% of consumers in any given market consider organic to be the healthier choice and the healthier option. So I think that's a contributing factor to why we're seeing uh, a, a climb in the interest for organic over the last couple of years. Okay. Think that's set to continue? Uh, I, I do think it's set to continue. However, I think uh, an awful lot of that will come down to how the organic market chooses to market itself going forward. I think that um, consumer behaviour would indicate that just being marketed as organic is no longer enough. It needs to be organic plus another benefit. Okay. So, yeah, like you're talking about hyper-local, as you'd call it, and... um the kind of providence being quite crucial for a lot of buyers. Absolutely. So the organic is part of it, but not the full package now, necessarily. Uh, I would say it's uh, a key, the, perhaps the first um, the, the first choice, but then there has to be something else added to it. Just being organic is no longer enough. It has to be organic plus sustainable, organic plus environmentally friendly, mm-hmm. organic plus ethical. Yeah. Organic plus grass fed type. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and with the different kind of sectors, you know, beef and uh, beef and lamb and dairy and kind of vegetables, arable, is there differences within those sectors, do you think? Yes, there are. So the chilled foods in Delhi is actually the highest or the fastest growing for the organics uh, sector. Um, I actually think that's an incredibly interesting uh, case study, if you like, to take out of uh, how different sectors are doing because that shows that it's organic plus convenience. So again, it's that organic plus. People are going chilled foods in Delhi in the supermarkets tend to be anything from microwave meals to grab-and-go options. So if we're seeing an over 26% increase in organic uh, purchases from that section of the supermarket, it would indicate that people who lead faster-paced lifestyles with less time are also looking to perhaps balance that out with what they perceive to be sustainable and healthy in the organic option and choice. Um, The dairy market is... uh, growing in terms of organic choices however the growth in dairy is slow it's 1.5 percent um the growth in the dairy market overall take organic out of it is in decline Mm. um and being overtaken fairly quickly by the plant-based non-dairy options so um 
while there are organic options within plant-based milks, if you will, there is still active growth within the organic dairy sector showing that those who are choosing dairy would rather choose organic dairy than non-organic dairy. Yeah, okay, okay. When you talk about organic plus, do you think um, plant-based proteins and like is another plus you could add to your organic brand? Absolutely. Uh, so I think when it when it comes to plant-based diets, um, so vegan veganism, vegetarianism, there is a study done recently that uh, indicates more than a quarter of millennials now identify as vegetarian. And within that, uh, there is a huge majority that would identify as vegan or hoping to become vegan. I think the market that's missed in terms of a big opportunity for organics producers is the flexitarian market. So flexitarian or reducitarian are people who do still choose to eat meat and animal-based products, but they choose to eat them with significantly less frequency. So instead of eating meat every day or twice a day, uh, it may come down to once or twice a week. And the uh, decisions that a flexitarian or reducitarian will make tend to be based around health, provenance, welfare, um, environmental impact. They want to make responsible decisions for themselves, for the planet, for the family. Therefore, there is uh, a lot of evidence that would show that the organic method uh, resonates with a flexitarian customer far, far higher than any intensively farmed livestock. Yeah. So the flexitarian customer who's only eating meat once a week or once a fortnight is probably quite inclined to pay a lot more for a nice, you know, grass-fed uh, or, steak yeah, as opposed to your standard um, grain-finished conventional Absolutely meat. correct, yeah. yeah. Last year the Soil Association did a piece of work that says that the organic market is now actually 1.5% of the total food and drink market in the UK, which sounds on the face of it, it sounds like a very small part of that market, but if you look back historically in previous years, it was uh, far, far less mm. than 1.5%, so it is showing um, increasing growth. And last year, 2018, was actually the highest grossing spend on organic produce in the UK that we've ever seen since we recorded it. Okay, so definite growth in the sector. Definite growth in a healthy place. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, as mentioned, if uh, marketed as organic plus, Mm -hmm. then I think you could see significant further growth in the area. Absolutely. Yes, I think in terms of supply and demand, I think with the way that the market's been trending, um, we would, I assume, be likely to see a point where uh, supply is starting to be outstripped by demand. That's probably where we see quite a lot of imports uh, coming in, particularly in lamb, where we could be producing that domestically and fulfilling that requirement. Yeah, yeah. It would be interesting to see uh, a case study on if anyone's managed to look at doing organic plus in their marketing of that because if it was marketed as being organic uh, with hyper-local provenance, with sustainability and environmental benefits, even though all of those things exist, are they being sold to that end user yeah. and demanding a, a price or is are they looking at organic Scottish versus organic... Welsh Organic New Zealand. Yeah. So there may be a marketing issue there. I think there was, uh, again, the uh, Soil Association said there was, they'd seen a, or 
had a reported uh, 5.2% increase in demand from wholesalers for organic produce last year. So if we are seeing if the market's growing at 1.5%, but the demand from wholesale is coming in, you know, 5, 5.2%, it would indicate that there is a lack of communication somewhere along the supply chain, which seems like an interesting opportunity. Yeah, certainly. Basically, there'll be a delay between farmers converting to organic and, you know, the produce coming into the marketplace as well. Nothing, nothing moves that quickly in farming. Kerry, for a farmer who is uh, trying to market a new organic product or even a new conventional product, what would be your uh, three top tips for um, marketing, it, marketing it effectively? Um, so, uh, number one, I think the, uh, the most important thing for anybody marketing anything to anybody is to start with why. Um, the majority of uh, producers will describe very well uh, what they do or how they do it. Um, people tend to be uh, an expert in their their own field. They quite often miss the uh, uh, golden ticket, which is why the person that you're marketing to should want to buy from you. Um, there's there are drivers for everybody in why they choose certain products or why they choose to buy them from certain people. Um, I think there's an older school of thought that says you should have a, a USP, a unique selling point, one single thing that people can understand. I would argue that you should have that USP or unique selling point for every single customer demographic that you're trying to sell into. Because you can have one product that six different groups will want to buy, but they'll want to buy it for different reasons. Yeah. So understanding their motivation will allow you to... You don't even have to sell it anymore. You just have to explain why they need what you're doing and it will automatically sell. Okay, okay. That's probably a challenge for a lot of, our, a lot of farmers or farmers who feel that they're just selling lamb and trying to, you know work up to USP is probably the, the trick part, especially if they're not um, you know, inclined to be the most creative people. Um. Absolutely. I think there's uh, probably uh, tip number two uh, would be uh, around about being prepared to ask if you have an ugly baby. Um, I think uh, with the, the dawning of uh, social media, marketing is seen more and more as something that uh, everybody can do or anybody can do. And while I uh, agree to a point that social media is great for, in inverted commas, free marketing to a point, um, not everybody is a marketing professional. Um, being prepared to ask if you have that ugly baby, um, friends, family, people who are invested in the business are unlikely to tell you that what you're doing is a bad idea or the way that you're selling it is the incorrect way to do it. So being able to ask somebody who is unrelated to the business and willing to tell you that you do have an ugly baby uh, to allow you to look at it, to, to reframe or to find a new way to sell something, I think is a really important thing to do. Yeah, yeah. So that may well be getting an external professional in to look at it and advise at times. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely. absolutely. Um, uh, other, other methods that you could uh, employ to, to check the status of your ugly baby. You could uh, have a look at what 
perceived competition is doing, have a look at what the industry in general is doing, look at any market research that's out there. So, for example, uh, Mintel, you can access, if it's food and drink produce, you can access every year they release something on trends and consumer behaviour. So that may well be something to have a look at. If you think you're not the most creative person when it comes to marketing, have a look at what consumer trends are saying and see if you can make your product fit what their behaviour is doing. Okay, okay. Um, tip number three, or is that three? Uh, tip, <laughs> tip number three. Um, so this is the, the internal-external debate. So I think it's safe to say gone are the days of traditional old school marketing where it's a case of who he who shouts the loudest uh, makes the biggest sale. People don't like to feel that they are being sold to anymore. People like to feel like they are making that decision for themselves. Um, what goes on behind the scenes has to be completely reflective of what people see and hear about the business. Um, things can turn on a dime in the industry and the the minute that somebody starts to doubt the authenticity or integrity of a business or their product you can fairly guarantee that that business or product won't have a future yeah yeah um maybe slightly different scale but i suppose that's kind of like the uh the horse meat scandal when people began to take what was in those ready meals, yeah, sales dropped off significantly. And we saw an, an upsurge in the sale of uh, more local and traditional outlets for beef. Um, so what you're saying there kind of ties in with what I've heard before, people saying about building a story to go with the, go with the, the product or the brand. Um, any tips on how to build the story? Or is it, do you think it's just honesty in the part of the farmer or the business? I think that... Uh it's absolutely about honesty. I would say that when people talk about brand building, there is a process that businesses will go through to build a brand with an agency or a professional. However, I think that the last thing that needs to be done is uh, creating a story because that you do run the danger of adding or embellishing and people will start to doubt. Yeah. Even if it's not um, a, a you know a huge and scandalous thing like horse meat in a in a yeah, lasagna, yeah. the minute that people start to doubt the authenticity or integrity of what's being said, they'll doubt the whole picture, not mm -hmm. just one piece of it. Mm -hmm. I think some of the most important things when it comes to brand building is again understanding what it is that actually makes you special, and it's one of those it's really hard to see the the wood for the trees situations a lot of people don't understand what it is that makes them special and mm. um, getting feedback on that i would say is the the number one step what do people think see and feel when they look at the business the product the family whoever it is okay. and start to build on that yeah so again get an external viewpoint or somebody not quite in the business to give their view and how it comes across absolutely yeah. feedback okay um and what would you say are trends you're seeing? What are consumers looking for um, in a product? We may be touching this a little before with the organic plus, but what are those pluses that you think people are wanting in a product now? So uh, I think number one, the, the biggest trend in coming years that we are expecting to see would be around well-being. So, uh, you know, there's that 
falls across category. That's not just food and drink. That would fall into almost every category. But I think that there is a vast, vast opportunity in the food and drink market for the trend of well-being. Um, food as medicine, more and more people are choosing to step away from over-the-counter treatments and looking for natural alternatives to the point that they would rather use, for example, turmeric for uh intestinal issues than go to see a gastroenterologist. I think that this is um, a fabulous step forward and I think it's a huge opportunity in the food and drink market. I think when we're talking specifically organics, I think the messaging around organics and the benefits of organics are beautifully hand in hand with that message of well-being. Whether that's uh, well-being for the person consuming it, well-being for the person producing it, well-being for the livestock if they're involved in it, the well-being of the land that's producing it, I think there's a, a huge hand-in-hand-in-hand in hand in hand story there yeah. um, and a huge opportunity to latch on to. Yeah. Um, environmental is obviously a secondary, a, a, a huge, huge thing. I don't want to say at the moment because it will be uh, for as long as we have the uh, pleasure of being on the planet. Um, I think that where some organic brands can have a little bit of downfall is when they market an organic product, but they package it in plastic packaging. That organic plus message, the organic customer is more likely to also have environmental considerations. And therefore, doing something good yeah. matched with something that's perceived to be uh, very damaging and dangerous yeah. is, again, one of those instant kind of turnoffs in honesty and integrity that's going to move people away from the product. So the organic producer has to be even more aware of that because who they're marketing to is, again, even more aware of that, those issues as well. Absolutely. Yeah. A really, really key part of that market and their consumer yeah. behaviour. Yeah. They can't just market it as organic and expect that to be enough. Absolutely not. Uh, further on trends, mm-hmm. um, some some other trends that are kind of we're currently seeing in food and drink globally, but I th- I see as having a, a a big impact or opportunity within organics would be the uh, I guess the hark back to the kind of ancient. So we're seeing more people choosing. Um, traditional methods of cooking or traditional ingredients, indigenous ingredients to where they are. So that's not just within Scotland, that's globally. But this move of we lead very fast-paced modern lives, so we want to go, whether it's out to eat or go home to cook, in a traditional way with traditional ingredients and traditional fare. I think that, again, the organic producers have a big opportunity there with not only the ingredients, but the processes around about producing those ingredients. Um, There's also, in terms of trends, a move towards um, more um, wild so people are looking at so foraged goods um, and looking at uh, different kinds of game. Um, so particularly kind of uh, pigeon, wood pigeon, hare, and an awful lot of those choices, particularly around the meat, are made due to perceptions again of intensive farming um, and the foraging being uh driven perhaps by a need to be healthier or without pesticides etc etc therefore while an organic farmer is not necessarily going to be farming 
foraged foods and it's not necessarily going to be farming wood pigeon again there is a market there that is demanding something different where I think the organic market has uh, an edge or an in is again in that kind of convenience way of you can have the benefits of this wild lifestyle without having to actually go and forage it or shoot it yourself yeah okay I've noticed a certain kind of uh, a lot of people talking about Hebridean lamb as, as an example of that um, you know quite an ancient breed and a lot of people talk about the eating quality being uh, you know better than more modern breeds so that would be an example of what you're saying there absolutely a great example of that ancient and indigenous yeah. I think it comes a lot from that hyper local people want provenance people want to you know see where their food has come from but also have that kind of step back into a bit of a slower pace of life yeah yeah